0: Alright folks, I got the Nissan Shaman caught in caught in cultural cultural contradiction. Alright, so let's let's read this. Um because I think this is very interesting. Alright Unlike most far eastern cultures in which shamanism played an important role, shamans among the Manchus and i people who lived to the northeast of China and ruled over China from 1644 to 1911 were predominantly female. Till 1911, that's World War I around time. This was still, Manchuria was still being ruled predominantly by female shamans. The most famous of these, the Nisan shaman, became a folk heroine whose story was told and retold in a number of versions. Indeed, the folk tale of the Nisan shaman is the only major work of native Manchu literature which has been preserved to this day. Although there is evidence of a rich oral tradition, the Manchus committed literature to writing only at the request of foreign ethnographers and unfortunately many of their more valuable texts have been lost. I think the Vatican has these. I'm telling you this 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 word Nisan Nicene Nicene Horse, Nicene Creed, the Nisan the Nisan Shaman. I don't know, I think there's a lot of correlation, okay. Um, the preservation of the tale of the Neis and Shaman is owed to the Russian Manchu specialist, A.B. Grebenshkov, who heard of its existence around the turn of the century and ultimately acquired three versions. Two of these versions are still hidden somewhere in the library at the Leningrad Academy of Science, blah blah blah, okay, let me... Okay, Set in the early 17th century, during the latter years of the Chinese Ming Dynasty, the story of the Nisan Shaman contains far more than a graphic portrayal of the shamanic function. Nisan here is spelled N-I-S-A-N its particular interest lies in the representation of the conflict between transcendence and imminence, more precisely between a powerful religious figure who happens to be a woman on the one hand and on the other the cultural the culture's definition of the female role according to the text the nisan shaman occupies the subservient social status of a widowed manchu or daughter-in-law Alright so this is where the whole um, Oh my god the, the, the midwives The midwives basically got turned Look it was all It was all the feminine driven before uh, Religions before Until The pope with his um, How do I put this Basically, the Romans, the the masculine religions, the city religions, when it came to agriculture and owning property, the masculine city religions and gods, became more about masculinity, about men. All their statues are men. All their gods are men. It's like... Everything... (laughs) Everything was just changed into, into uh, um, <laughs> worshipping the masculine. It's just. <laughs> I'm not going to get into that right now. Okay. In Manchu society, marriage was exogamous and patrilocal, and the position of the Uran, of the woman who married into the clan, was no less strictly defined than other female roles. Commenting on the importance of marriage for women in this society, Sergei Shirkogorov, the major ethnographer of Manchu society, writes, the, woman in, the women in the clan only make clothing and shoes for their wedding. Therefore, the principal work is, ex, is executed by the women adopted by the clan. They call them Wurta or Wurtusa. Plural for Warren, a spoken variant of Oran. Uh, I say, it's just the W in front of it. If the food in the house is not good, the swine are not fat, and so on. They say, Ai wartasa," that is, what kind of work, woman? The life of the Manchu woman was not only defined and limited by a daily household routine, but also by a number of taboos relating to menstruation and childbirth, taboos which Shiroko Gorov interprets as the practical application of the idea of the woman's impurity and danger for men. The tensions implicit between this traditional vision of femininity and the transcendent power of of a female shaman inform the narrative of the great Nisan folktale. The story the story of the Nisan shaman begins with the tragic death of Sergudai Finangyo, the only son of a wealthy official named Baldu Bayan, <laughs> while the aged parents Mourn his death an old hunchback appears at their door to tell them of a great shaman who has the power to revive their son. Hmm sounds kind of like <laughs> Rich sir, are you unblinkingly going to let go of Sergai Finango and send him away? If there is a skilled shaman somewhere, why don't you summon her here and have her bring the young master back to life? Hmm, it's a female shaman, so it makes me think of, uh, what's, what was was her name? Maleficent, Maleficent, yeah, right, um, yeah, Maleficent. Uh, with Angelina Jolie. Mm, all these witches in the Inquisition. Even in the story of Samson. They burned his wife and his, and her family. I think because she was a shamaness. As I'm saying, the whole Bible is fucking plagiarized, man. The whole fucking book is plagiarized. They just took all these stories from these other places and then just put a fucking whatever twist on it. The official replied, where is the good shaman? In this village of ours, there are three or four shamans, all of the type who eat by cheating people out of food. They are shamans who merely offer a little liquor, a chicken, and a few pastries or prepare some millet or grain." They not only don't revive a person, they don't even know the day and time of his death. (laughs) I ask you, if there is a skilled shaman somewhere that you old man know about, please give me some indication. The old man (laughs) replied, rich sir, how could you not know? There is a shaman by the name of Teteke. Akal teke. Yo. This is literally spelled T E T E K E. Like Akal teke. This is Te teke. Who lives on the banks of the Nisihai River, not far from here. This shaman has great power. She can revive the dead. Why don't you go ask? Why don't you? Why don't you go to ask her? If she comes, even if there were ten sergudas instead of one, she would still be able to revive them. Go quickly and seek her. Having said this, he leisurely walked out of the main gate, sat on a five-colored cloud, and was lifted upwards. Sounds like the rainbow body... Stuff of Tibet. The gate guard saw this, and after they rushed into the house and reported it to the official, Baldu Bayan joyously said, Surely a god has come and instructed me. Baldu Bayan immediately sets forth to find the Nisan shaman, but her characteristic mischievous behavior makes this a difficult enterprise. Setting out at a gallop, they soon reached the bank of the Nisihai River. They saw a little hut on the east bank, and Baldubayan noticed a young woman hanging out the clothes she had washed on the fence. He drew near and asked, Elder sister, would you please tell me where the house of the Nisan shaman is? At this, the woman smiled cheerfully and pointed, She lives on the west bank. Hmm. The official then mounted his, his horse, and at full gallop, he reached the place she had indicated. He saw that a person was standing inside the courtyard smoking tobacco. Hastily dismounting, he approached and asked, Good sir, please tell me which one is really the home of the Nissan shaman. Then the man said, That woman who was hanging out her wash and whom you just questioned on the east bank is the very shaman. You have been tricked and deceived. When you make a request of that shaman, ask respectfully. She cannot be compared to other shamans. This one is very skilled at leading. (laughs) Baldu Boyan thanked the man, mounted his horse, and again rode to the east bank. Getting down from his horse, he entered the house. (laughs) He noticed that an old, white-haired woman was sitting on the south oven bed and a young woman stood smoking tobacco at the opening of the stove at, th- at the opening of the stove. The official thought The old woman who is sitting on the oven bed is surely the shaman. He knelt down on the ground and was about to make his request, but the old woman said, I am not the shaman. You, sir, have been misled. The one standing at the oven, my daughter in law, is the shaman daughter-in-law. Ruth, was she a shaman? Then Baldu got up and knelt before this woman and implored, shaman, elder sister, you have become famous and your name has spread abroad. Because you supersede twenty, even forty shamans, I have come to make a request of you. Will you divine and indicate the circumstances of death? Although elder sister, it is troublesome for you, what am I to do? Please be sympathetic and let me profit from your fame. Yeah, this makes me think of Aladdin, man. Was was the genie a shaman? Hmm. Alright, um... That the Nissan shaman forces the wealthy Baldu Bayan to ride confusedly from place to place... And to throw himself at the feet of two women, that she taunts and teases powerful males, underscores her confident power even more than do the pronouncements of divine messengers. A second episode of this type occurs after the shaman agrees to pursue the soul of Baldubayan's son and begins to prepare the seance. Because those who have been hired to accompany her prove incompetent, Teteke asks Baldubayan to summon Nari Fian Go, who has skillfully aided her in earlier seances. The sexual bantering between the young shaman and her 70-year-old assistant, who at the story's close is revealed to be her lover, undermines all notion of respect for male elders. Makes me think of uh, Game of Thrones when the dude was fucking the the red haired the, the red haired lady witch lady, but then she was all old and shit. And I was like, oh my god <laughs> No Okay. Virtuous Mr Nari Yangro Fiango Brother and and assistant who will provide help for the gods. Listen, help me, your elder sister, by harmonizing beautifully with the tune. That's another thing with shamans, man. It's all about sound. That drum and consciousness is... is this is what I'm saying. The drum, your heartbeat, and the horse's gallop... It's it's all about rhythmic drumming. It's the rhythmic beating. Tuk, 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 tuk. It's like when you when when both your heart and the music and your consciousness all align boom you have gone. You have you have connected both the spiritual and physical side. You are <clears throat> Well, I'll just keep reading. Um, According to that which was established of old, I confidently entrust the tambourine and drum to you, brother and assistant. If you are unable, I will beat your thighs with a dampened, leather-covered drumstick. If you do not harmonize with the chanting and murmuring, I will beat your buttocks with a wet drumstick made of cherry wood. (laughs) What? After she said this, Nari Fiango laughed and replied, (laughs) Powerful, strange, Nisan Shavit, I, your your younger brother, know this. I do not require a lot of instruction. (laughs) Accepting his symbolic role as younger brother, Nari helps Nisan enter the trance during which her soul separates from her body. Hmm. She journeys into the underworld, as in the Orpheus myth, and overcomes a series of bureauc- bureaucratic obstacles with bribes and threats before she arrives in the land of the dead. She learns that Sergudai Fiango has been adopted by Ilmun Han, the lord of death himself. But because of her power, she is able to summon the great soaring bird and to snatch the boy away from the underworld's most powerful figure. Yo, this is like when Gandalf jumps off that tower onto that big ass soaring bird. Hmm What if... Interesting. So this is what I'm saying. All those, all these stories in the Bible, what if, that's what I'm saying, what if these they're all just the hero's journey of the shaman in the underworld, in, in the subconscious, like, all of it, all of this stuff, okay, with your talons grasping, bring him, with your claws seizing, bring him, put him across your backs in a golden censer and bring him. Turn him over in a silver censer and bring him. By the strength of your shoulders, lifting, bring him. Okay, one recent portrayal of let's say this, the hero's journey in the underworld, is portrayed I think pretty good in the movie the the new Guy Ritchie version of uh, King Arthur, uh, with the with uh, what was his name with that guy in it. Um, But it's basically the one the guy the the King Arthur movie guy Ritchie did, where he goes into the underworld for his initiation. It's basically that's what's happening. Okay. When Ilmun Han hears that the boy has been taken, he becomes very angry and dispatches his relative Mongol Dai Nakchu to retrieve him. Naku Nakchu to retrieve him, but he is powerless before the mighty Nisan. After a lengthy bargaining she agrees to leave a rooster and a dog as partial payment for the soul of Sergudai, only on condition that the underworld grant Sergudai ninety more life more years of life. Interesting. Makes me this whole thing makes me think of uh Abraham bargaining with God about how many lives he could save in Sodom and Gomorrah. Because his his cousin Lot was there with his family. And then also... Um, the lengthy bargaining. <laughs> the... the Adding 90 more years to life. It makes me think of the movie Constantine with Keanu Reeves. When he's about to go to heaven. But then the devil is like, no, oh And then he heals... Takes the tar out of his lungs So he heals him basically So that he Basically lives longer <laughs> That was a good movie too That's all about shamanism All about shamanism The symbology Is everywhere It's just the perspective If We just needed the context of What all this meant It's all about shamanism Our Our movies and everything Is filled with it Okay Um even this one-sided bargain does not abate Nisan's desire to play tricks on Mongol Dai Nakhchou. The Nisan shaman thanked him and said, Call the rooster by saying Asi, and call the dog by saying Sio. Call the rooster. Hmm. When then Peter denied him three times the rooster crowed. Interesting. When he released them and called out Asi assi Sio. Sio both the rooster and the dog turned back and to his surprise went chasing after the Nisan shaman. Mongol Dai was frightened and went running after them until he was out of breath. Gasping and panting, he implored, Shaman, elder sister, why do you play tricks? How is it that when I called your rooster and dog, they both turned around and went away? I beg you, do not deceive me. If I do not take these two things back this really will not work out. How will I be able to endure it when the ruler blames me? When he had implored again and again, the Nisan shaman laughed and said, I've joked enough. From now on, remember well what I'm going to tell you. Call the rooster by saying, goo, goo. And call the dog by saying, airy, airy. Eli, Eli, lama Sabaktani." Mm. Then Mongol Dai said, Elder sister, you were only joking a bit, but I have broken out in a cold sweat. As Nisan travels back from the world of the dead, she sees her deceased husband and becomes engaged in what is the most important dialogue of the tale for the present study. Interesting, this makes me think of Kali and Shiva. This episode involves both the ultimate exhibition of her power and the most abrasive violation of Manchu social norms and as such must be quoted at length. Okay. As the Nisan shaman was taking Sergudai by the hand and walking along leading him, she met her hu- her husband at the side of the road. She saw that he was boiling a cauldron of oil on a fire of sorghum stalks. Looking at his appearance, she could see that he was angry. When he saw his wife, he gnashed his teeth threateningly and hatefully said, Yo, gnashed his teeth. This is all, all the language is right here. The Bible, they say outside the city, there will be gnashing and grinding of teeth. This is all over here. So this is all, So all that shit's taking place in the spirit world. Huh. Okay, he, he he said fickle Nissan instead of achieving the revival of all others is there anything wrong with managing to revive me your dear warm husband who was married to you from youth i have especially boiled this cauldron of oil here and have been waiting and have been awaiting you quickly say whether you will bring me back to life or not if you really won't revive me, then I simply will not let you go, and this cauldron will immediately become your adversary. Yo, what? In reply, the Nissan Shaman entreated him. Dear husband, listen quickly. Dear man, listen right here and now. Having opened your thin ears, listen. Having closed your thick ears, please listen. The tendons and muscles of your body have broken apart. Being dead a long time, you have decayed. Your bones and flesh have all softened. How can I resurrect you? Her husband gnashed his teeth and and hatefully said, Fickle, merciless Nisan shaman. Wife, listen. During the time I was alive, you despised me, calling me wretched and closing your eyes to me. In your heart, you clearly know this is so. You have acted according to your own whims, and whether you wait upon my old mother well or poorly is likewise according to your whims. Decide quickly whether you will get into the cauldron of oil yourself, or whether I will have to push you in. The shaman's face reddened at his speech, and she angrily called out, "Dear husband, you listen. When you died, what did you leave me? You left me your old mother in an impoverished household. I have respectfully nourished her. I have done my best to be filial to her. Husband, think and observe. I am a kind person. Having discovered your strong resolve, I would like to give you a bit of a test. I will see if the strength of your corpse has been diminished. I am sending you to a suitable place. I beseech the spirits. Great cane, circling above the forest, quickly seize in your claws my husband. Throw him for good into Fungtu City. Let him not take birth again in a human body. God damn. You wanna fuck with me? <laughs> she was like, you wanna fuck? As <laughs> she called out a great cane, crane. Took wing and seized her husband in its claws and threw him into Fengtu City. The shaman saw this and calling Deyanku in a high pitched voice, she said, Without a husband, I shall live happily. (laughs) Without a man, I shall live proudly. Among mother's relatives, I shall live enjoyably. Facing the years, I shall live cheerfully. This is like inner psychology, man. This is like you taking the archetypal image, inner journey, the inner uh, hero's journey. I was going to say shaman's journey. Well, might as well call it shaman's journey. The inner shaman's journey to heal yourself. To go find your soul and bring it back like Jesus did. (laughs) That's what shamans do. Okay, without children, I shall live on. Without a family, I shall live lovingly. Pursuing my own youth, I shall live as a guest. Chanting like this, she led Sergudai Fiango by the hand, now walking merrily as the breeze, now running quickly as a whirlwind. This remarkable scene, which clashes with all conventional notions of proper wifely behavior, ends with a veritable pain, pain P-A-E-A-N, paean to female emancipation and freedom, in an effort to counteract and to rectify this iconoclasm to reaffirm the predominance of cultural norms, the plot takes a striking, albeit incongruous, concluding twist after Nissan successfully brings the soul of Sergudai back to the world of the living and is celebrated by his grateful parents, for in the last three pages of this version of the folktale, Nissan's mother-in-law, hearing about the treatment her dead son received in the underworld, writes out a complaint against her uran and submits it to an officer of the court. On the basis of this complaint and Nissan's own deposition, which supports the accusations of her mother-in-law, A memorial is presented to the Chinese emperor, who declares, I am very angry. Hand this matter to the Board of Justice. Weighing her crime in the balance, proceed according to the law. After the investigation, the board issues an an ambiguous statement. If we consider that the Nissan Shaman did not conceal the matter which has been reported, then we must say that this woman has courage but since we have received a deposition, she also can be made to pay with her life. The emperor's ultimate decree has profound symbolic and cultural implications. Immediately gather the shaman's cap, bells, tambourines, and implements, put them in a leather box, bind it tightly with a steel rope, and just as she got rid of her husband, throw this down the well that is in their village. We are told that this order was executed, that thereafter Nisan ended her love affair with Nari Fiyango, and began to live in an upright and proper manner, making a break with all strange, dissolute ma- matters. Thus, the powerful shaman who was recommended to Baldu Bayan by a heaven sent messenger and who heroically accomplished her difficult mission is forced to give up shamanizing and is rebuked for her dissolute behavior the two shorter redactions of the Nissan tale which have been described by volkova by, by volkova appear to have a significantly different reading different ending the first concludes with Nissan giving Mongol Dai Nachku, the dog and rooster, and does not contain the confrontation with the husband or even the account of Sergadai's revival. The second redaction is fuller than the first, but it contains, sorry, but it consigns the episode of the destruction of the shaman's paraphernalia to a single sentence and gives no importance to the involvement of the Chinese judiciary. The structure of these shorter redactions argues for for the possibility that the conclusion of our version is a secondary accretion. The reason for adding the awkward legalistic ending becomes more apparent if we keep in mind that Nisan is portrayed as a widowed uran. Among the Manchus, a widow with no children over the age of 12 has the right to request a separation of property, and to leave her husband's clan. As Nisan points out to her husband during their underworld confrontation, she has chosen to remain with his clan and care for her aged mother-in-law. In other words, she has voluntarily perpetuated her status as an orn a work woman. Yeah, this is just the same story of, of Ruth, man. This is the same story of Ruth. Her decision to remain low person on the totem pole of family and clan while possessing power and renown as a great shaman dramatizes the contradictions within the culture regarding women's position and heightens the tensions between her imminent status and her recognized capacity for transcendence. The Manchu audience clustered around a fire, listening to this great folk-tale, surely delighted in Nissan's naughtiness, her casual harassment of powerful men, and perhaps even the humiliation of her husband. But beneath the laughter, there must have existed an uneasy sense that Nissan had gone too far, and she had used her spiritual power to subvert the established sh- social order. This tension between the accepted social code and Nissan's use of her transcendent power could only be released through token punishment, and so at the end of the story, clan sentiments and feelings of male superiority surface to fashion a rather clumsy but ideologically coercive resolution. The paradox inherent in the Nissan folktale takes on an even deeper. Relevance when viewed th- through a theory that Simon de Beauvoir advanced in the second sex. Women have traditionally been imprisoned in repetition and imminence, argues de Beauvoir, and yet at the same time in women are incarnated the disturbing mysteries of nature. Because the female possesses mysteries, sorry, because the female possesses mysterious and threatening powers her superior capacity for transcendence is suppressed by the male who then appropriates the transcendent sphere for himself yep if de Bra- if if de beauvoir's the- thesis is correct then unusual levels of tension between the two sexes must inevitably exist whenever a woman assumes the transcendent functions in a male-dominated society. Despite the apparent egalitarianism of shamanism, this tension marks and determines the story of the Nisan shaman. Cool. we at? third four. But also, I will say, it's interesting because you can you can see the evolution of religion and law as we became more agricultural. We just got older men who just found more ways of monopolizing whatever. And that was through male land-owning power. What What is the masculine, patriarchal, dark side is it's just owning everything it's owning everything that is matter physical whatever it's like whatever I can own I will own (laughs) like that's the idea of of um this sort of perspective but also at the same time If it wasn't for, let's say, patriarchal systems or hierarchies, we wouldn't have private property. So, unless, it's, diversity is always, I think, better. More options is I think always better, but sometimes you only have one option. So (laughs) that's the dilemma of (laughs) being a human, I guess.